I'm Mark Stedman, and we'll see who rusts first. I'm John Bounds, and I wonder if you'd like to buy some tickets for our raffle. Uh, it's just a little one. Um, to raise money for Angie, who's retiring and needs a kidney machine. Only 10 pence each. I'm John Hickman, and I suffer from strange delusions so that I'm living in the real world. You could probably even buy two. I mean, without breaking the bank. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard. leopard, 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 leopard. From the outpost, this is Beware of the Leopard, the show where we traverse the entirety of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in alphabetical order, no less. Uh, If you're new to the show, hello. Uh, Now, go back and check out our past episodes from A to R. You'll find them all at btlpodcast.com and speaking of R uh, a quick bit of follow up uh, from our friend Andrew Dubber is that uh, the vinyl version of the show as in records beginning with R is um, the apparently the canonical version of the show uh, or the, uh, the 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 work in general the oeuvre uh, and everything else is just fan fiction written by the original author um, you've listened to it haven't you Bounder so what's your take um, I've got it in my hand actually uh, right now uh, and the record in my other one and <laughs> the uh, uh, it's it's interesting obviously the radio series came first so it can't it's not the original is it but it's i think um, you would understand if i said that the version that you first hear or first love is your canonical version it's your original and i know for you it's the radio series mm-hmm. and i know for me it's the book definitely um, but I do like this vinyl, um, this original vinyl and original records for a few reasons. Uh, number one, it spells hitchhiker hyphenated, mm. uh, which I don't think anywhere else does. Yeah, I still haven't figured out which one it is. There are absolutely no uh, um, figurative representations in the artwork at all. It's all weirdly sort of Max Headroomy, uh, but Ooh. not. Um, it's like it's taking like it's taking the photo of something on the telly. Ooh. It's uh, it's very nice. But my favourite thing about it is not the sound, because the sound is very similar, actually, Mr Dubber, to the radio series. Um, <laughs> it says right at the back, on the bomb, and it says, uh, when the events on this record take place, only those who have not made tape copies will stand any chance of being rescued. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and now this... Rula Lenska plays Lintilla and her clones and the guide in bird form in the radio series as um, children somewhat of the 70s. Uh, I wonder if either of you can give me your favourite Lenska vehicles. A, a Lenska vehicle, of course, sounds exactly like a um, Czechoslovakian car. Yeah, it was, it was basically a rebadged Trabant. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, you know, functional. They've got a certain retro charm. Um, I was surprised i was not surprised that rulenska came up because mm. i'm following the alphabet <laughs> but um although uh she could have come up a little bit earlier oh under l for example yeah yeah <laughs> but i was just uh, th- th- thinking here i have never seen a television program in which rulenska has acted i've seen her on television mm. ah. i've never seen her act yeah in a damn thing i was gonna say um in my in my head she's a kind of a, an, an an ever-present fixture 
of the mm-hmm. TV schedules. And and I, I may have misremembered this, but she's a kind of somebody who was on things like uh, Give Us a Clue. Prob- I'm sure she probably was. I think I was talking about her earlier to uh, Libby, my other half, and uh, she says, I don't, I've never seen her in anything, but she used to be on Wogan a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, she's one of those who was on lots of things, it seems, but I, yeah, I, I don't think I've, I could I could ever, I mean, she's, she's been in things for uh, a while. I mean, she was in that Johnny Vegas thing ideal she had a uh, a little bit of that she's well i'm going to categorically c- claim something as my favorite riddlenska vehicle oh d- despite the direction of this conversation mm-hmm. um which is um the second series of the cluedo quiz show tv program where she was mrs peacock oh was that the one fronted by richard and judy i think it was yeah it, it, it was every week was a kind of a murder mystery that was the same murder yeah yeah <laughs> that was weird shit that so was. It, so it's kind of like midsummer but like taken a little bit stripped back even further it's not just like the same uh, another murder in the same bloody village in the same house when richard and judy weren't in it they were presenting it and they were saying like you've got to guess this haven't they weren't they yeah yeah oh yeah. wow that's i'm gonna watch that now so i want to watch that and uh put a i could probably make some money on a, a subscription-based thing on the internet, watching episodes of it and writing things about it or something. You should run. You should absolutely run. Because there are subscription services now for everything. Um, you know, BritBox is is a, a good one if you're an expat um, and, and you're you're in the States or whatever and you can go on your British TV. Is that what you're going to say? No, I just think... Um, <laughs> old old, old shite. Just, just the old, old shite network. Yeah, John's old favourites. And it's just um, it's just a streaming service that you can get £5 a month. And, and it's everything. It's, you know, on the buses, open all hours, mind your language. Obviously, the future is just curating your basically your own TV station. The, uh, although, um, I would have to put some adverts in it. And an advert I would put in it is the uh, Rulalenska and Dennis Waterman advertising Cabaret's Whisper. Mm. Wow. Where they, they were married, you mm-hmm. know. They were for quite a, quite a while, weren't they? Uh, so long, in fact, that they had a daughter that was eventually in EastEnders, where she was always referred to as Dennis Waterman's daughter. <laughs> Forget, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> he got top billing on her. That's Mark a bit harsh, King. being as Rulalenska is uh, an EastEnders alumna. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in this advert, um, Rula's uh, D- Dennis is eating a whisper in a in evening dress, <laughs> and uh, Rula's uh, leaning on his shoulder in a sort of seductive way. You know, we're not sure whether or not they've, they're just about to go out for an evening out, or whether they've come back in. It's a come back in chocolate, surely. It's not a going out chocolate. Yeah, I'd want to. I'd want to have something more like a double decker, Yorkie, maybe a Twix before I go out. Mm, Yorkie might be a bit heavy, actually, but yeah, just something sustaining. Maybe maybe a Snickers. Mm-hmm. Plenty of protein in that, so that's... Yeah, there, there you go. Yep, yep. Sold. Rula's uh, flirting. Or a topic. She's, uh, she's, she's, she says to uh, Dennis, when you unwrap a whisper, it's uh, devastating and <laughs> wonderful and, and very unpredictable. And he turns around and he goes, what? Like watching Fulham? <laughs> oh, God, I, I remember... Right, I think I remember these. And, but the, I keep thinking about it. Okay, watching Fulham may be unpredictable, but when did you ever have to unwrap Fulham? <laughs> they ca- they ca- they came pre-unwrapped, unless it was Dennis Waterman's job at any point to strip their tracksuits, peel them slowly across their buttocks, and uh, and you know, and, and uh, sing the massage. theme tune. <laughs> sing the theme, sing the, the theme tune as they went out, massaging their legs with Vicks. But my favourite thing that I discovered about Rula Lenska when preparing for this recording was. Um, that she was she was launched in her career in America 
doing an advert in which she was presented as an already successful British actress and then became a successful <laughs> British actress off the back of having been the face of VO5 shampoo in America. Wow, it's sort of how Dido became famous. What? what? By, being a, by being a Greek god? By, be- <laughs> by being, by being um, sampled as though she was already an established artist uh, in Eminem's Stan. Yes. Um, in a song that nobody had heard of in the UK. Yes. Uh, and then and then suddenly she managed to get an album out. There's, there's something brilliantly paradoxical and, and hitchhikery about that whole setup, though, about becoming famous in America for being a famous British actress and then becoming a famous British actress (laughs) for being famous in America. Because you've been famous in America, yeah. It's a lovely paradox Mm. and and you can't take it from me. Uh, And now to a man who fits his name... Russell is Fenchurch's brother. To Arthur's mind, the name Russell always suggested burly men with blonde moustaches and blow-dried hair, who would, at the slightest provocation, or or, or even provocation, start wearing velvet tuxedos and frilly uh, shirt fronts, and would then have to be forcefully restrained from commentating on snooker matches. Russell was indeed a burly man. He indeed had a blonde moustache, and his hair was indeed fine and blow-dried. He was, though, a bit of a cock. Um, John Hickman, what would Russell's Twitter bio be? I think before we get into that, I'd like to know whether or not he eats a whisper when he's in that outfit. Um... <laughs> no, he's definitely... Um, he, g- given the time, he would have been a Yorkie man and would have reveled in the fact that it had a symbol on it that said not for girls. Well, I'll, I'll, so I want, to talk, I want to talk about that for a second, which is to... Um, I, I've got an idea in my head of, of who... Russell, Russell is, Russell would be on on the on the Twitter. But I just want to kind of unpick the archetype that Douglas was actually drawing here because it doesn't. It, it would it would be a Colin Hunt character that he's drawn if you kind of put it through our current lens. It would be like a, oh, he's daft. He's got kind of big frizzy hair and and a moustache and, and he's wearing a dress shirt. But the, essentially, it's a description of uh, a, a kind of a caddish very um alpha male character isn't it but there's a there's a weird sort of dandyism that it feels like that there's that, that's in there as well and whether that's just a sign of the sartorial times i don't know but um there feels a bit more flamboyance there that i would associate with today's man it's a man who wears a uh, brute and uh drinks wine <laughs> and um He's reliable, uh, dependable. <laughs> Lots of other words in thinking about. We like wine, yeah. He, goes, he would, do, he would do, but he would, um, he would know. He would basically. He's sort of a um, pat mustard. Bob, you know Bob Ferris uh, when he in the, the whatever happened to the likely lads. Oh wow! When he's uh, you know he's going to go on skiing holidays and uh, well he had to have dinner parties. And he's, he's a little bit more uh, in the 80s than that. So he, he would do all that sort of stuff while still being single. He wouldn't have uh, changed when he got married. He would have done that. He's, he's past fondue. <laughs> but he was, um, I, this, I, he paints a wonderful picture, actually. Um, just the name Russell, does it? Mm. Um, I mean, the, the best thing about the name Russell is it's uh, the name of the brown paper cowboy. <laughs> well, so look, I've, I've, um, 
I've taken what what my idea of of Russell from the seventies is, and kind of brought him into uh, two thousand and eighteen. Mm-hmm. I've I've come up with a few ideas, and I've come up with a sense of what his persona will be on Twitter. And he's, there's going to be some certain political positions that mm-hmm. Russell's going to take. Um, and uh, you know, I don't I don't want to offend or isolate or push out any of our listeners who may have different opinions to me. But this guy is. Very, very Brexit. Mm-hmm. Oh, he stinks of Brexit. Yeah, I was going to say he was a follow back pro Europe. Well, so I've looked into that as well, John. I've I've covered all of our bases here. You really have done the numbers, haven't you? I have done the numbers. Yeah. Um. So in his Twitter profile, there there, there may well be some some hashtags. Uh, he's definitely going to be using hashtags a lot. There's there's a there's an area of Twitter that he's interested in, but it's not yet articulated into his identity. He does often, if you go into his history, uh, he does often and search for hashtag Tommy Robinson. But he can't... Because of that slight uh, social climbing dandyism about him, he can't bring himself to really kind of embrace that bit of culture because there's a bit of football hooliganism involved in all of that. But he likes where Tommy's coming from, definitely. Um, He he definitely um, voted Brexit, but he's, he's in a strange position now where he's maybe one of those Brexit people who are who are on the fence and maybe he's he's moving more towards that um let's have another go kind of position he's potentially going to be quite interested in QAnon I think oh god and he's he's certainly going to he's going to be your local pub's resident expert on American politics since the dawn of Trump um he's going to know everything that's going on over there oh he'll be the one who's um because I, I do hear this conversation uh, a few times. America loves him. Like, no, 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 they, they, they're, they're prosperous under him. Yeah. They're having a fantastic time. Like, yeah, he annoys a lot of people, but he's he's a really successful president. He's they're, they're, Things are actually going really well under Trump. No one wants to admit it, but they're actually doing really well. Definitely. That's, yeah. that's, that's yeah. where he is as well. Yeah. But yeah. the real the real meat of, of what he does is... Um, I've actually got a sample, which is a real profile that I found online of, of what his Twitter bio might look like. Here's the sort of tweet that he'd enjoy. Mm. Don't begin with a qualifier that requires too much investment. Keep on light to begin with. Here's my favourite. So are you a climb a mountain or a lay by a pool kind of girl? Hashtag PUA. Hashtag cold approach. Hashtag pickup artist. That yeah. is Russell. Yeah, he read the game. Yes. Definitely. So I've got I've got Russell pegged as the sort of person who's got onto Twitter a little bit late because it keeps getting mentioned on the telly. Mm-hmm. By Jimmy Carr. He got onto it at the point where he was told that it was a great way to converse with celebrities. Mm. And what Russell what Russell does is continually he responds to his celebrity <laughs> friends celebrity yes. friends all the time. <laughs> he asks them. Yeah, and they never they never respond to him because obviously they don't respond to anybody without a blue tick. And he's just going, and he's just getting increasingly, increasingly, increasingly angry at them. And he eventually goes, Oh, fuck off, you stuck up bastard. He's like, oh, at Gary Lineker, I thought you were really good on match of the day. I thought you could tone it down with the politics a bit, though, mate. Stick to football. At Gary Lineker, why aren't you talking to me, you bastard? At Gary Lineker, at you juggier twat. Every night. He, he also, um, I, so yeah, I, I was thinking about the celebrity dimension. I think he probably follows quite a few adult entertainment stars mm-hmm. and probably without any 
thought about what that looks like is is actively trying to engage them in conversations as well. Mm-hmm. I suspect that he would be kind of tweeting like your, your classic eighties page three girls like Linda Lasardi. Oh wow! I think, I think that might be his his kind of area of expertise. Mm. It depends on how old he is in this current timeline, I guess. I think yeah, I think we've got to peg him as perpetually sort of thirty. Five, mm. but I, I think I think your categorization um, is 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 absolutely uh, absolutely spot on. I I wonder about the QAnon thing um, because I wonder if he would have enough, if he would be conversant enough in internet culture and that particular area of internet culture uh, to know what it is and be able to read it as anything other than the the made up gibberish that it. It is. He's just, he doesn't perhaps think deeply enough. Yes. Yeah. He, he's not looking for deeper meaning or answers because things are probably going fine for him. So I think the the thing with QAnon is it, it scratches that itch that a lot of, I guess, people on both sides to a degree, but certainly people on the right at the moment want to be able to feel like they're persecuted. Um, uh, you know, uh, it's the war on Christmas again uh, coming up, lads. So, you know, QAnon is a way that they can say, well, all of this, the, the reason that everybody hates us is not because we're dinosaurs and the world is changing. It's because of this and Hillary did this and put her emails uh, and, and the approaching storm and stuff. I think his life is probably going fine enough where he's not searching for a conspiracy to explain why things shouldn't be better for him. Here's, here's my sample um, mm-hmm. Twitter profile that I found o- online. Postgrad political science, I study campaigns and voter behaviour. Non-PC, liberal atheist, sports fan and day gamer. Oh, that's pretty good. That's that's someone who's, who's on hashtag PUA. I, it sounds more liberal than I would be. What's a day gamer? <laughs> So I, my my um, uh, social graph is absolutely fucked from research for this uh, episode. So thank you. Um, I was thinking of someone who sort of like unashamedly draws the curtains and gets Call of Duty. Yeah. Um, it's it's how to pick up women during the day, essentially. <laughs> um, the, the the website that I found just has a picture of of a man looking really quite mm. gross talking to a woman, and it just says stopping a girl in the street. It couldn't be easier. Uh, day game is so easy you could be on your lunch break pick up three different women and then have your pick of who you want that evening Ah! gross what's the what's the biggest reason why the day game is easier than the night game simple competition it's gross man oh that's filthy because in a nightclub everybody's everybody's in the game but in the day everybody's doing the shopping Russell go and wipe off your keyboard mate that's horrible Russell's a bad man And now to a ship of some sort. The RW6 is a sexy and beautiful ship, and the sort of thing you only saw in the sort of magazines that were designed to provoke civil unrest. John Bounds, what sorts of magazines are those? Well, there are lots of sorts of magazines that promote civil unrest. Now, I think you're you're thinking maybe of sort of, I don't know, have you ever seen Monocle? Oh, I, I am aware of Monocle. Or Wallpaper. Asterisks, <laughs> which are uh, sort of like uh, design, and they're basically for very rich people that care about rich person things. And <laughs> don't we like everything Scandinavian because you can put it away and you can't see it, and it only works if you've got a big house and stuff. What often makes me ready for civil unrest is the New Statesman because he pretends to be left wing and it isn't. Ooh. Maybe the London Review of Books might wind you up and provoke civil unrest because you buy it thinking, I'll re- read this and see. 
which books are good. <laughs> but no, it's far more the London very long essay and pricey of books. <laughs> it tells you what's in the books. It never tells you whether they're any good. Uh, you don't oh, need okay. to read them. I imagine <laughs> that the London Review of Books is is a guide to books that you're not going to read, that you then don't read. So you end up with both a pile of unread books and a pile of unread reviews. They genuinely, they, they are basically praises for books. They go, oh, here's all the arguments in this book. It's rubbish. <laughs> or you've read them now. So it's like a Reader's Digest. Can't, it doesn't intend that. It has some mm-hmm. very interesting articles about politics, but it, it's uh, book reviews. Uh, they seem to be so. The magazines that really, really wind me up and provoke civil unrest and will provoke strikes and things are internal company magazines. Uh, now, I don't know if you work for a big enough company to have one of these. No. No, I think you probably have, uh, John, actually. Yeah, yeah. But um, when I used to work at the BBC, there was Ariel. Ariel, yes. Which was uh, which is actually really, really good. It's, mm-hmm. They don't print it anymore. It's just sort of like the intranet thing. Mm. But if you work, for example, for Rivita, and uh, every uh, quarter you found on your desk a copy of The Crunch... <laughs> Telling you all the stories that have been happening in the world of uh, dry crackers that were invented in Birmingham, um, <laughs> but famously uh, sold as Scandinavian. Or maybe you like Tata, 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 the Tata Steel magazine. Uh, are these real <laughs> names, John? Yes, of course. Yeah. Maybe you fancy inside you <laughs> the, it's not a uh, it's not a surgeon's uh, magazine it's not it the quarterly fact... endoscopy no, no. <laughs> it's the university of miami's internal magazine internal of course maybe you like life the internal magazine for the british red cross or i don't know maybe you sit down with a copy of dyson news oh that one was a bit of a letdown <laughs> A magazine's so rubbish that not only does it suck, it also blows. <laughs> well, the ship made its way into Random's hands. Uh, we were talking about a ship initially, um, <laughs> the RW6. Uh, it made its way into Random's hands after Ford dropped it off uh, at Lamuella, or on Lamuella. Uh, I kind of get the sense that this is the sort of ship that a space-faring Uber driver might pick me up in. Um Anyone know how many Altarian dollars I'd have to pay if I threw up in the back seat of it? What's the going rate in uh, the UK at the moment? It's been a long time since I was... uh, It's quite a lot. Um, It's something like 50 quid and then the... um, uh, Some sort of fee that is commensurate with the amount of lost business while the driver is getting his car, um, you know, re... uh, Re-shampoo. What happens if you get it, also get it in the back of his hair? Oh, then that's extra shampoo. How do you wash a spaceship? Very carefully. Um, I I don't know. It's probably um probably takes quite a long time. Well, it depends if it's a big spaceship or a small one. Well, all right, but even the even the smallest spaceship is still gonna be a as Ford Prefect said, one mother of a mover. It's still gonna be fairly substantial. Well, I've seen a scale model of the Sputnik. It wasn't big. Sure. Do they get, I mean, do they actually get dirty? Because um, space is a vacuum, even if you can't pick up the uh, Dyson internal magazine. <laughs> it's not a vacuum that sucks all the dirt off the spaceships, though. <laughs> Bang, and the dirt is gone. <laughs> the, 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 dust, the dirt would have to get um, a different velocity in relation to the spaceship to escape it. Is it, not one, is it one of those power vacuums that um, you always get given when a dictator gets deposed and they uh, give all the uh, people a, a Dyson? Dyson. 
And now I get to use a special little noise to denote a trademark. Rimplon is a new synthetic fibre which was uh, terrific for space travel because it looked its absolute best when it was all creased and sweaty. Mr H, there's a theme, uh, I think, in Adam's work around using the highest of high-tech to achieve either a distressed look or, as we've covered in previous episodes, to give people um, a deliberate competitive advantage or disadvantage. Um, Is this Douglas Adams predicting hipsterism? Mm Hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean. Yes, and I, no, yes, yeah. and no. Mm. I think, I think, particularly when you look at the crew of the Heart of Gold, um, and particularly, I mean, it's, it's, it's described as such, but I think it's one of the things that the TV show did really quite well was to have the kind of the pure white technical idea of a of a of a high end spaceship like that. Mm-hmm kind of through Star Trek and beyond mm. oh, good pun um, uh, <laughs> aesthetic of this kind of very clinical spaceship and then put all these grungy grebos in there um, uh, if you were in a society where there were lots of new shiny things all the time um, there would inevitably be a kind of a, a, a cultural movement of an aesthetic that kind of kicks against it so in in a sense, I guess that could be a, a space hipsterism, hipsterism against that. Now, obviously, not every spaceship, not every setting in Hitchhikers is really clinical and scientificy feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about things like the uh, the Vogan constructor fleet, that's obviously very scuzzy. Mm. Um, but but a lot of the time you want in the setting of it to have that kind of... So uh, what I'm saying is that there's kind of two reasons to do this. One which serves story and setting and one which actually makes sense in the universe. From a story and setting sense, you want to pitch our heroes as being having a different aesthetic to the kind of main aesthetic of the universe, I think. Um, and in another way, you could kind of explain it like certainly Zayford would want to have a, a, a grungier look and an edgier look about him as well. Yeah, so it, it doesn't have to be uh, oh the you know the the twenty um, the twenty teens analog of, of hipsterism. It, it can just be about culture and counterculture. Yes. And I think uh, I like I like that a lot, and I think that makes a lot of sense. Actually, it is it's just a um, a way of setting setting ourselves apart from this yeah gleaming white uh, control panels and things. Yeah. we want things that are um uh, to quote arthur a bit squalid yes yeah, it's, it's it's true to the characters and 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 also as i say it kind of it, it helps with storytelling but also there's a potential thing where if you think about um when uh this is being written as well there's a lot of talk in the 70s into the 80s about kind of the used universe concept in sci-fi as well and so there's a nice little play on that kind of aesthetic that you see in things like alien of very lived in universes yeah. so there's there's quite yeah. a nice joke where you could you could take this idea of of pre-crumpled clothing and then you could kind of pass it through alien and go oh yeah no they're, they're not working class people they're just wearing really expensive design again <laughs> that looks like boiler suits well that's i think that's quite interesting and i hadn't picked up on the whole um alien and sort of slightly sort of grunge space aesthetic which is contemporaneous at least with the later books if not the the first 
but uh, in the radio series. But at the time that the original radio series was being written, what was happening in a slightly not too far away part of London was essentially Vivian Westwood and mm. um, Malcolm McLaren were selling pre-distressed clothing mm. for vast amounts of money and forming um, an you know an aesthetic based on that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. There was also, we're not too far away from the, basically the birth of stonewashed denim, mm-hmm. which I'm sure Russell would have been wearing. Um, <laughs> Twice. Definitely a yeah. denim guy. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think whether I'm, it does not particularly strike me, knowing what I know about Douglas Adams, that I don't think he'd have been hot on the, the punk trail. I don't think he'd been slipping mm. down, I don't think he'd be slipping down the uh, <laughs> 100 club. I don't know. I heard he was the free trade hall, mate. Well, so. Everybody was. But, uh, <laughs> Him yeah, and everyone from Radio 4, they were all there. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, John Lloyd, uh, Chris Langham. <laughs> oh, uh, oh. We don't talk about him. Yeah, no, but I don't... I don't um, yeah, it doesn't strike me as... Because obviously we know about his um, uh, liking for Pink Floyd and... Johnny Rotten famously wandered around in a Pink Floyd uh, T-shirt they customised that said, I hate Pink Floyd uh-huh. on it. Um, so they're, they're not the same. Cult- they're not going to have a, a lot of cultural Venn diagrams to part. But, you know, it's possible that in that sort of um, Alan Moore idea of the, the sort of idea space mm-hmm. um, that Douglas, you know, might have picked up on the same sort of thing that you could, yeah, pre-distressed pre-worn deliberately made more difficult or whatever <laughs> was um yeah was was where it was at now who's hungry There is a feeling which persists in England that making a sandwich interesting, attractive or in any way pleasant to eat is something sinful that only foreigners do. Make them dry is the instruction buried somewhere in the collective national consciousness. Make them rubbery. If you have to keep the buggers fresh, do it by washing them once a week. Uh, This is my... um uh, annual audition to be the narrator of the next set of books. Uh, John Bounds, why is it so hard to find a good sandwich these days? It's very difficult to find a good sandwich because the single factory in Didcot, which was responsible for producing all British Rail sandwiches, <laughs> there it uh, is, has been, has been closed for some years. Um, is that because there was the, the wrong lettuce on the it, line? Oh, nice. They were, they, were, they were genuinely all made in one place, all British Rail sandwiches, and then shipped around the network. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the speed at which British Rail trains move, that could take some time. So They were right next door to the writer's room for Radio 4. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing a British Rail sandwich joke in here. I'm not doing... But I was going to say is it bringing it back a little bit of a, a callback because it's this fits in this is almost this is a much more tasteful version for douglas of the british rail sandwich joke <laughs> and i think this is from a section in which he uh, discusses um pubs next to railway stations yeah. so we are thinking uh, about this is from um so long and thanks for all the fish so we are thinking about that sort of thing and he would have been thinking about that but he's not doing that but the british rail sandwich gag always strikes me not only is it a cultural uh, shibboleth a lazy gag writer's gag um, it's also nonsense because as this bit says not it wasn't just british rail sandwiches it was the 70s all sandwiches in the uk were rubbish all of them 
the ones you made at home, the ones you buy <laughs> from a local cafe, the ones you got from the Queen at Buckingham Palace, <laughs> were all white bread, thin, mother's pride, egg and crest, oh. or just... Like, you know what I mean? They were all rubbish. Yeah. And it the whole idea that it was British Rail particularly that made bad sandwiches is nonsense. They're, people are misremembering that. Yeah. And they now do paninis, which are rubbish, <laughs> the same as it, well, trains do. They do the same rubbish paninis that pubs do. And all fucking paninis are rubbish. It's nothing <laughs> to do with the difference between socialism and capitalism. It's just that sandwiches are shits. <laughs> I years ago, um, I did a a, a panel, uh, hosted a panel show uh, podcast, and one of the games that I devised involved it was basically guess the contents of the sandwich, <laughs> and uh, I I discovered uh, because I've been sort of caught out a couple of times. Um, having to qu- quickly get to work and uh, you know needing to to buy some lunch on the hoof, and so I'd go down to my local. Um, little corner shop uh, and by there, there's a company called seal foods so i discovered just how bad this particular brand of sandwich is slash was when i i bought one after getting you know as i said uh, getting caught short brought it to work had my lunch break sat outside nice day bite into a sandwich ostensibly chicken um, which is the worst. Don't ever buy a flavour of, of sandwich that is ostensibly chicken. It's a bad idea. And I can't tell you what was in the sandwich because it wasn't chicken mm. and it wasn't organic uh, in in any in any sense. In the sense of carbon based. It it was. It's the kind of ingredient that probably has a trademark next to it um, and a, and a, and a, a, a formula. <laughs> and so when. A couple of years later, I came to um, be hosting a uh, a panel show podcast. I decided that I needed to inflict this pain on other people, and so brought um, bought um, ostensibly chicken and ostensibly tuna, <laughs> and gave them to my friends and co-hosts and asked them to identify what was in them. And um, the chicken one, nope, could not be identified as any organic matter. Oh no, um, the 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 description of the fish-based one was was unappetizing, but it was at least identified as being some kind of attempt at fish. Um, it is the new traumatic drinks dispenser of the sandwich world. I think there's a market for um, a sort of like innocent smoothie cutesy packaging thing Ooh. that plays up how shit the sandwiches are. <laughs> that was called things like ostensibly, ostensibly chicken or um, possibly fish. Is it beef? <laughs> <laughs> we were aiming for pork <laughs> tomato definitely <laughs> cheese maybe oh so it's like those um rx bars that they, they advertise on uh on, on podcast now where it lists all the different ingredients and there's so there's tick marks next to like lettuce tomato and then it's like beef and there's just a sort of <laughs> question mark in the box well, i think it'd say things like um uh egg and they just have like a hand going sort of waving from a horizontal hand waving beside the side mm, not sure <laughs> Sorry, I sorry, I thought you asked for prawns. Oh yes. That's a great brand. Yeah. At this stage in the proceedings, Mark, I, I can't I can't have us talking about sandwiches without letting you 
talk to me about open sandwiches from the Stieg Larsen books, please. Explain to me why these are a thing that are so fetishised by Stieg Larsen. I, my, my, my suspicion, I haven't done any of the reading on this, is that there is a word for open sandwich in Swedish uh-huh. that because it's more of a thing than just putting things on bread. Um, it's a smorgasbord, isn't it? Basically, a smorgasbord is just an open sandwich. And I think we've used it to mean um, something more plentiful than it like is. A buffet. But I believe a smorgasbord. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I believe a smorgasbord is just a, an open sandwich. I may, I may be completely wrong on that. An open sandwich is a sandwich you make uh, to put on the internet to show everybody, not really <laughs> intending to reach the person you made it for. It's, I thought it was a sandwich that's allowed to see on the sandwiches or on the internet it's a, it's a sandwich where everybody can can take the recipe and adapt the recipe so long as they attribute <laughs> the original recipe absolutely um yes it's uh as long as you use the right sauce but the, um, the, the, the oh god <laughs> the sandwich talk in the sea glass and books is in my head and not just because of you being the connective tissue between these things in my head mark but that is the kind of that is what Douglas is pushing against. Yeah, but the thing... Okay, yes. The thing is, often the characters that... Well, certainly in the case of Lisbeth Salander, she's not a fancy eater, um, but she has caviar in her sandwich. I think that's a mistranslation issue as well with the caviar, because I think they call any fish row caviar. Oh, okay. Because uh, I remember seeing it on the breakfast buffet when we were in Stockholm. We don't call it a fish row. We call it a fish aisle. <laughs> <laughs> to a place we've only briefly stopped at until now. Santraginus 5 is a marble-beached planet where you get seawater for a pangalactic gargle blaster and where the fish never seem to care whatever the heck direction they swim in. Oh, that Santraginian seawater, says the guide. Oh, those Santraginian fish! The drummer for Disaster Area went mad and made friends with a rock bear. We've already discussed bringing back Santraginian seawater from the duty-free, but what else might uh, might we want to bring from a Megamart on a Santraginian port? Uh, it depends how much uh, Santraginian shrapnel we've got to spend uh, before yes. the uh, for the plane goes. And what the exchange rate is to the Altarian dollar or the uh, the Flalian bobble bead? Probably a, g- a generic um, teddy bear that's wearing uh, a jumper that says Santraginus Five on it um, and a T-shirt that says, uh, I came to Centrogenous V and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Do they still make those? Oh, I bet they do. I was thinking, oddly enough, uh, for reasons I won't go into, I was thinking about the phrase solar panel for a sex machine yesterday and wondering sure. if you could still buy um, buy those as T-shirts. But um, those cliches aside, as it's as it's famous famous for its salty seawater, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, and this is probably too serious an answer to your question, but you, there's all, all manner of uh, salty gifts oh. that, you could, that you could get. I'm sort of... Sort of bath stuff in there. There's all all the bath stuff that they have. Oh, have you have you ever been to um, Iceland? Not the shop and um, the Blue Lagoon, where there's the volcanic, um, well, volcanic spring. Really. Yeah, it's like a fish around, uh, isn't it? You can have a swim in it. It's fantastic. Yeah, and uh, they sell all the the mud essentially. The um, I think well, you obviously got to get a Toblerone and um, <laughs> some lint. Oh yes, I want uh, Mr. Flight 
um, from Geneva Airport because uh, in well, Geneva Airport, one thing we know about Geneva Airport is they do not announce flights. Well, we learned that afterwards. Ooh. But um, I was essentially distracted by uh, looking at all the different cowbells they had for sale. <laughs> they started off very small and went all the way to very large. Hmm. And that was the difference in size of cow. Not Well, they weren't like cowbells that you could play an instrument. They were big bells. Actual bells for be cows. Hung. Yeah, bells for cows. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's there and it's, um, Ru- I mean, Russell's been away on a business trip. He's got to get something for the wife. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in Geneva. He's been at a convention. He's been at a convention. He's got to, uh, he's looking, he's, He's bought us some perfume and, uh, mm-hmm. and a big tub brand for the kids. And he's just going to go and he's go, oh, this will shut her up. <laughs> Got to buy a bell for the car. Buy a bell for the ball and chain, eh? So what you, I mean, we can do all the cliches about uh, going to a, a, a duty-free shop. But essentially, um, you don't want to buy anything from a duty-free shop. The only, since they uh, stopped that whole thing about being able to get 200 fags, yeah um there's been no reason and <laughs> i'm wondering if they actually have frictionless trade anywhere between uh santrogenius uh v and other santrogenius uh planets whether Ooh. it's sort of some sort of customs union so it's like a beetlejuice in schengen zone or would it be like um some place where you, you they have the weirdest restrictions about what you can and what you can't bring in oh yeah like australia about you you, you can bring in um, anything that isn't organic matter um, because they're worried about the wildlife that comes in because they've got this delicate ecosystem. And yeah. Back in the day, um, my Uncle Dave lives in uh, Holland, and back in the day, before we had internet television and all that, he used to really miss like British television. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you went out to see him, you had to take him two things, some cheddar, because mm. uh, the Dutch cheese is quite bland and he wanted some cheddar or some Wednesdaydale or something. And you also had to take him uh, a VHS of like Only Fools and Horses or Faulty Towers or something. Aww. And um, my uh, mum was once going to see him and as she, uh, she brought it back as well. I don't know why she brought it back. <laughs> Because we got Fulton Towers on the telly in the UK. <laughs> but she brought it back and she got stopped at customs coming back on a flight from Amsterdam, where the uh, customs officials thought, oh, video cassettes, unmarked video cassettes from Amsterdam. <laughs> oh! And they sat her in a little room and made her watch a six at six uh, episodes of Faulty Towers on a 180 minutes extended play tape. Uh, basically, they were what, looking for some grot and they actually got six episodes of the second series of Faulty Towers. That's amazing. But it was hell for the, it was hell for those of us standing outside uh, with the sign waiting for my mum and, and paying the money in the car park. Oh, where's she gone there? I don't know, I know nothing. And she hadn't even come from Barcelona. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that just about wraps it up for The Leopard. Thank you very, very much for listening. Um, It's, uh, it feels like, it only feels like yesterday since we've we've, um, been back. So it's like, it's it's nice to have you along. Um, I appreciate it. Um, I mean that. 
So um, stick with us, won't you? And uh, if you like the show, uh, you can tell people about it. It will really help. You can also go to podchaser.com um, and drop us a little uh, review. Be like Brendan Hutchins uh, in so many ways, but in one way you can be like Brendan Hutchins and leave us um, a lovely review either on this particular episode or on the podcast in general. And as more people start finding out where Podchaser is, which is basically the IMDB of podcasts, uh, the more people that um, start using it, the you know we we will become sexy early adopters of a of a new of a new website. So um, won't you help us do that? Um, it'll be uh, it'll be lovely. And uh, you follow uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook and all the usual places, and you'll find all the links at btlpodcast.com. Uh, you'll also find Bounder. Uh, that's John Bounds on Twitter at Bounder. You'll find Mr Hickman at John Hickman, and you will find me at I am Stedman. We will be back next week. So until then, share and enjoy. This podcast is produced by Podient. To find out more, visit podiantproductions.com. I was just going to... I'm in search of good books at the moment. I'm uh, struggling to come up with the goods. I'm reading The Loney at the moment. May, may I ask you a question? Are you reading anything else at the moment? No. Come on. Think think, think this through. John knows where I'm no, going No, I this. know. Um... I, I, I knew when you asked it. I knew that it was. I knew the answer was going to give was going to be wrong. John, John, do you know where I'm going with this? Mark, are you reading anything else at the moment? Um, what you mean, like 101 things Birmingham gave the world? <laughs> no, no. What's uh, the name of the book? The Loney. Okay, right. Are you reading anything else at the moment? <laughs> only, only, only the Loney. Dum dum dum. Oh, we got there. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs>